Brett Leonard, here with my son, Shannon Leonard, for the seventh episode of What the F is the Metaverse? So much news from a reported $1 billion investment from Google into an augmented reality startup. Yeah. And uh, companies, consulting firms like Accenture weighing in on the Metaverse and even Heineken Beer doing kind of a marketing stunt. So a lot to talk about today. Yeah, it's been a uh, another brisk week in the brisk world of the metaverse, whatever the F that is. So, <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, we've been exploring that and yes. watching it every week continue to evolve. It seems like every week there's a new definition from yes. every company. And, uh, and then there's another thing that happened this week. We both watched a show on Netflix, which was a limited series, which was about the life of Andy Warhol from his his diary. Um, yes. which is the only thing he ever wrote about himself uh, in his whole, you know, sort of journey. Uh, and we're bringing up Warhol in the context of the metaverse because in some ways the whole concept of the metaverse, NFTs, these kinds of things are very Warholian for 15 me. 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, 15 minutes of fame and the idea that everybody is a creator, uh, you know, that, you know, pop, popular conceptions the whole idea of memes really comes from Andy Warhol I mean it's he really was yeah. uh he was like a future alien that came here from a future time and probably another planet and just sort of was showing us humans uh, a, a kind of modern new way of art and uh he was and you even hung out in that I did I did yes it's true that I'm dating myself now but uh yeah when I was when I was uh you know in my my late teens, early twenties area of time, you know, my young, young adulthood. Uh, I hung out in New York a few times, um, around the Warhol factory at that time it was very different than what it was in the seventies and sixties, of course. But, um, you know, it was a time of CBGBs and the mud club and Deborah Harry. And, uh, I was a kid that hung out in that, and uh, got to meet Andy and, you know, just feel the vibe more than anything. It was uh, an amazing thing to just sort of look at and feel at that moment in time. And it was very, very, uh, I think, very, you know, very inspirational to me. I think if you look at, you know, some of the work I've done, like Lomberman, it's there's some Warholian elements there. So I think that uh, his influence was great. And it's great, especially around the idea of artists using technology, um, even though, you know, in some ways he was a Luddite, but not really because he was creating this whole idea of creating a factory for art of reproductions that were, you know, almost infinite, uh, you know, the Campbell soup can, of course, being the most famous icon of that whole thought form. One thing from the documentary that really stood out to me was the AI generated voice. Yes. And and how specifically that could be applicable to the metaverse because I was like, well, if they can, you know, in in this documentary So, so series, just to be clear, the the the, the Andy Warhol's voice reading his diary is actually performed by a combination of a human, Bill Irwin, the actor, a very amazing actor who was also a physical mime actor back in, you know, avant-garde New York theater days. He's older now, but he performed but it was like 20%. It was 20% yeah, and then, real, but 80%. 80% was an AI. Yeah. That, that basically formed, you know, obviously analyzed some of Andy's actual recordings and, uh, 
and then and it makes me think we could actually created. hang out with warhol in the metaverse maybe someday if they could recreate his there voice, you go exactly could, and by the way know, warhol would have loved body. that warhol would have loved that that whole concept of hanging out with a virtual version of him. so i mean he had there was a robot made of him at one point uh, just oh, to, right. uh, that was by by this japanese company and and it was very famous it toured around um you know he was not really that thrilled with it it turns out but you know he was not thrilled with his own image most of the time, which is another contradiction uh, in Andy's life and who he was. Anyway, we encourage people to watch that documentary, the Andy Warhol's Diary limited series on Netflix, uh, because there's some tenets about what has happened with art in the in this age, and especially in the age of NFTs and and metaverse, you know, virtual real estate starting to be grown. You know, these sort of imaginary worlds, virtual worlds, all of this. In, in many ways relates back to some of the stuff he was conceptualizing and at least playing with, uh, you know, and I think he's one of the great influential artists of his era and will be for many, many, many hundreds of years. So you, you even texted me that he is the grandfather of the. Metaverse. Yeah, the, in, in some ways, sort of the aesthetic that's going on right now, anyway, in the metaverse, he's kind of the grandfather of the aesthetic of the metaverse. It's like this, you know reproducible the whole idea of ai generation of imagery uh you know procedural generation of worlds that that happens through ai all of these ai concepts including the fact that his over narration in the document itself was ai you know th these are all things that are kind of connected to him and and yet obliquely so it's it's a he's a very interesting figure and a very interesting influence and one i encourage anyone who's getting involved with metaverse creation to at least study some of what Andy did, and there's some interesting antecedents there. Yeah, and this, and this leads me into some news uh, about Accenture, which is Accenture, a yes. technology yeah. consultancy firm, and uh, they just released this whole strategy called the Metaverse Continuum, and one of the, in one of the videos they show, you know, then there's a lot of things they talked about, but they kind of created their version of the virtual uh, you know, metaverse world. Yes. And it is very Warholian in a way where everyone is sort of these pixelated sort of characters. And it's so, and you can tell Accenture just threw this together. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's in terms of the, the actual, it's a very basic three dimensional yeah, space they're, that they're, you can enter. So we got a consultant in the metaverse. Yeah. Let's throw a metaverse together to consult. And yeah, let's have the Accenture <laughs> metaverse universe. Um, you know, and that's sort of like what happens there. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm even, yeah. have, I've even, had conversations with Accenture about this several years ago. I won't get into that, but uh, you know this idea of you know using the medium itself as a modality for teaching brands and marketers, you know what the medium is capable of. Uh, a self-reflexive aspect there, you know that's that's makes a lot of sense. The way and it makes sense yeah. that they do it now, and you know they grow it over time. So it, of course, is going to start rudimentary now because the, you know, the conception of the metaverse right now is fairly rudimentary. And, but again, you know, in the way that Warhol integrated brands into his yeah, art, that's, that's and another then, huge part. Yeah, exactly. And that's, also made it just simple. It's the simplistic, clean style that he pioneered that ended yeah. up being, it, it ended up being the style that digital art kind of moved in yeah and now you know yeah. so so accenture said there are four key trends for the metaverse enterprise so again this is a very business focused company they make yes. it software yeah. and they make also do the consultancy firms of course the consultants yeah. yes. see, have money in their eyes when they see oh everyone's trying to get and they always the, the ones that make my deloitte and touche they make money every time 
Accenture. Yeah. They make money every time. They know how to do that. And, and they're, some of them they're embedded in the corporate yeah. world in a way that, uh, you know, they do provide a service that corporations need. They need yeah. to keep them current, you know, and, and that's part of what, and they have very smart people that work for them. Uh, I've known a few actually. Um, uh, and so, Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, they're, Apple, they're, you know, Apple they're, they're, you know, they're, you know, there's, there's a service there that corporations and brands need now, because as we've talked about the land rushes on with the metaverse. So they are, you know, the fact that uh, these services are opening shingles in the metaverse, that's not surprising right now. And they had four four key trends for the metaverse enterprise, and this gets very buzzwordy. They right. call it web me, putting the me in the metaverse. Oh, my God. Unified, <laughs> unified persistent 3D environments. The programmable world is another one, which focuses on leveraging emerging technology trends like XR, AI. Yeah. Um, and AR, which, I mean, and we could go, I mean, they, they, they talk about digital twins, which we yes. talked about, which is a very, yes. which almost seems like a very simple way of jumping into the, the metaverse because, oh, it's yes. like you have to exactly duplicate reality. I'm yeah. not sure if that'll always stick around because. No, the there's mutability to, there's mutability to duplicated reality and it gets mutated pretty quickly. But yeah. yes, there is, there is a being birthed, a digital twin of the entire planet spatially, architecturally, from a road standpoint, from a natural environment standpoint, uh, there is a digital twin happening. And that digital twin has coordinates within it, which will be governed by smart contracts in blockchain, in, in blockchain technology. That's part of the sort of infrastructure of the buzzword Web3. And uh, now they're yeah. calling it WebMe. I mean, that's, that's pretty... <laughs> I, I got to yeah. be honest, that's, that's, that's taking it a little step, a, a step to corporate simplicity, one step too far for me. Web me, it sounds like it's a, you know, it's it's the kind of joke in, in a RoboCop type film where they're showing the future. And now there's web me. It's all <laughs> for you. And you are me. You know, I mean, it just it's just, it almost yeah. you know, writes itself as a joke. So. I, well, I and, and, and as much as they're probably just have money in their eyes and they're trying to sell this to businesses, there it also shows how more and more this the metaverse is being taken seriously by large corporations. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the CEO was talking about how or, or one of the high ranking uh, officials at Accenture was talking about how that you have to start now yes. you're building out metaverse tech to prepare for the next 10 years. So it's a very long term thing they're, Yes, they're saying this is in the next 10 years. That now, what, what they're trying to do, though, is they're trying to make it packageable and just, you know, super easy and simple. And that, of course, isn't actually the landscape of it right now. It's complex. There's weird gray areas. Uh, yeah, there's uh, ethical concerns that have to be you know, brought in this uh, true multidisciplinary process is what's actually necessary to really define the metaverse in all of its, you know, levels and, you know, the, the business level, the, the rubric of the overall virtual economy. I mean, crypto, NFTs, blockchain, smart contracts, all of these things that are just infrastructural, just that is a huge conversation. And of course, they'll be able to, you know, hip their clients to a lot of that, but they're still, they're still trying to present it in this very like, and here it is, it's already formed. It's not. It's actually yeah. forming. And, and there's very serious central tenets to its formation, which are still being decided. And that's why one of the reasons, you know, I like having this conversation and I have a lot of conversations with a lot of people uh, all week long about the metaverse because it's sort of at the center of a lot of my work. Uh, you know, it's there's really what is the intention of this thing? And there's some really interesting 
very advanced individuals out there that are doing things uh, in the context of the metaverse, you know, quote unquote, uh, you know, one, an AI scientist who, you know, uh, is very, very focused on, at least he's, you know, he's, he's an entrepreneur, an AI entrepreneur as well. And he's very focused on, you know, what is the open source democratized purpose of this? And that, that purpose needs to be creative empowerment with these tools. And well, like Centra says, you have to start building now. Otherwise you're going to be in someone else's world built for them. <laughs> yeah. That, and that right there is a corporate posture. It's like, yeah, it's like as if there's a scarcity of real exactly. estate in the metaverse and you got to get yours now. Now there's going to be scarcity schemes. They're going to create scarcity on purpose to, to create value, which of course I think is one of the things we need to evolve beyond, but that's a much larger discussion about currency theory, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, this is, you know, this idea of... Well, it's in the core gotta, of you know, what non-fungible... I think there's going to be a very large number of metaverses that each have their own, you know, there's, there's not, not that there's not going to be a, a consistent platform like at the level of HTTP or TCP IP that is just, you know, supporting... Right. The the you know, the computing, the spatial computing aspect of the metaverse. I believe that that's going to be in place. Uh, yeah. And and so that's why some of the you know bigger money is going to those kinds of plays right now is because that is infrastructural. But on top of that, I think there's going to be a, a multitude of metaverse experiences and, and areas of the metaverse that so the idea that oh you'll have to be on someone else's in order to, i don't know if that's necessarily true not in the context of the people that want to create open source uh you know accessibility to these tools and to this developmental space it's a developmental space you're developing virtual real estate essentially well you bigger know. bigger money bigger money like google which yeah. just reportedly yeah. invested one billion dollars into a startup called Raxium, which yes. uh, has an it's an augmented reality startup that their their primary technology is called micro LED technology. So that'll make it a lot more screen you know screen technology that's a lot more power efficient and also yes. potentially lighter. Um, and so that you know that is really great for if you're going to make an augmented reality head headset or software, it's got to be light and power. Yes. Is actually a big deal. Actually, the the CTO of Facebook uh, was just on a Ask Me Anything on Instagram saying, and someone asked him, "Do we always have to have an external power supply attached to augmented yeah. reality glasses?" And he said, "Probably the answer is yes for the foreseeable for the next few future, years, yeah. just because there's a thermal problem." Yeah, there exactly. And with keeping yeah, all you're gonna that, have, you're yeah. gonna have uh, you're gonna have uh, earpieces that burn into the side of your head if you don't have an external body. We don't want that. Yeah, we don't, no, exactly. we don't want a head meltdown. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> melt heads. The melt heads, man, they put those augmented glasses on and they just burn into their temples. Oh, God. We definitely, <laughs> yeah, that would be bad PR. Yes, so, but, but, but that's from a universe. That's kind of from the Larman Reborn universe. But anyway. Um, <laughs> exactly. But Google. Ogheads, ogheads, they embed the tech, even if it's in a very primal way, like cauterizing it into the flesh. But Well, uh, that's like Neuralink. I mean, now we're talking about Elon Musk. And that's very Warholian, by the way. <laughs> Have yeah. you heard about Elon Musk's Neuralink? Oh, yeah, I know. Neuralink, yeah. absolutely. I mean, you know, look, there's there's interesting technology there. I mean, if you can get that data of of the, you know, 
brain activity and actually make sense of it, you could do some things that make the interaction with a virtual world very, very intimate, very personal. And, um, and Google is all about personalization. And, that, and, yeah. uh, and, uh, and just back to this news quickly, because they, they, it's interesting that Google is now, this is the first recent foot forward that they've put into the right. metaverse space, because augmented reality is a part of the metaverse. And, and for those who don't know what AR is, it's just a way of overlaying data on top of your world. So virtual it's reality. Like ghosting it on top of your world. It's like yeah. you're seeing through translucent displays. You've seen a lot of these things in movies. Uh, there's been a exactly. lot of heads up, you know, augmented reality displays in movies, you know, robot vision, Terminator and Google vision. Glass. Uh, yeah, you know, Google Glass. Yeah, so, so there's, a, there's a pretty good, you know, touch point to what this is out there. But it's like you would be walking around with this all the time, you know, and uh, Google Glass, they tried it. They already tried to do yeah, this, yeah, and no, they kind absolutely. of failed. Yeah, it failed. Well, yeah, but it was early technology, and it was it was early. It was cumbersome, early and, it was, and you know. Yeah. And we had a friend who was actually wore his all the time. He was, a, or he's an, early, he's the ultimate early adopter to these things. Alan Lundell, shout out to Alan Lundell, who was, and in who, a way, that's he wore his Google Glass happened. all the time. He, he did it for years, and so showed the what came out of that, which is a lot of filming of life and sort of being able to go back and look at things. I mean, you know, it was an interesting process experiment for sure. And now the world is following in his footsteps in a way, yes. <laughs> not just him, but everyone is kind of exactly. thinking forward. And yep. now Google is trying to get back to this again. And I think it's because of pressure from Apple, Apple's yeah. room. Well, this is definitely in, rela in relation to the Apple AR glasses that are supposedly coming out yes. within the next year. And so Google, I mean, making this billion dollar, that's significant. That's a significant move. It is. And it has, yeah. you know, I have to say it's only reported the information reported a source that said it was a billion, but it's not publicly announced the, the actual value of it. But it's from a pretty good source. They like, well, we did well with Android, so they don't want to miss out on this next computing no. platform. No. And, you know, there's a lot of companies now jumping into this. So no, and this to. all what this all means, people out there who are interested in the metaverse. That means there's going to be further ways from these very, very, you know, sophisticated and very powerful companies for delivery of metaverse content to you. And that's what, you know, is happening. And basically, we're seeing the money go to devices. We've talked about it going to Web3 infrastructure. We've talked about, you know, the fact these are indications in the marketplace that have happened only in the, you know, the few weeks we've been doing this now, a couple months almost. And, uh, you know, the, the, in a couple months, things have moved radically and also there's been a radical movement of money to things that are related to the metaverse so th there's no doubt this is happening people that say it's just a hype cycle or that it it has no no reality to it i they're not following the actual you know news or actual data of what's happening and they're not doing as of course came out so iconically in all the president's men they're not following the money and we're looking at where the money's going and that means this idea of the metaverse, which is still unformed in a lot of ways, is definitely pouring the foundation uh, of concrete into the foundation. You know, it's it, we're 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 in that stage. the The skyscraper uh, or multiple skyscrapers aren't erected yet, but the foundations are being poured. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's, when, that's, a, that's, Accenture... a, so that's a fundamental time to really think about what is the nature of this thing. I really look, I'm, I'm very much and I want to have, you know, further discussion about this, of course, apart from just mentioning it in the context of the news that we're having this week. But 
this whole idea of making things open source and which has been you know a big oh, yeah. movement for a very long time in in software and coding and computing uh, writ large but you know this is now open source to this new virtual world that's opening up so in a way it's like are we going to keep the portals open for free flow of people information etc or is this going to be gated gated areas gated real estate gated um, by facebook slash meta because yeah, as i've exactly. mentioned i think there are the metaverse does exist today and yeah. mostly the metaverse has been you know so accenture purchased 60,000 MetaQuest 2 VR headsets in October, yeah. last October, to help with hiring and onboarding new employees. And so that kind of was what predated this now Metaverse Continuum announcement they've launched. But that that shows that, you know, they had to invest in the one Metaverse platform that's actually set up and running, yep. which is Mark Well, Zuckerberg's the one that's set Meta. up and running in the context of a dimensional virtual world. I totally agree with that. Yes. It is yeah. a dimensional. And, but also the, the, the network effects of communities and experiences. Because when I, when I first got the MetaQuest headset over a year ago, there weren't that many compelling experiences. No, I played no. Beat Saber for a while. And after yeah. you know, Beat Saber gets old fairly quickly. But now, flashback to 2022, or flash forward to 2022, there's amazing experiences, that, some of which I've talked about on this podcast, like Zenith and Knock VR, and yes. even even more some you know realistic gaming experiences like the Climb, and there's more coming out, you know. And there's also artistic ex, you know expression pioneered by Google Tilt Brush. So Tilt Brush really was the thing. I, I mean, for me, Tilt Brush was the best VR experience there was because it also was basically empowerment to create something. It was like this yeah. way of creating free in a free-flowing way in a three-dimensional space that was very joyful in a way. You know, it was it was pretty amazing, and and that 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 trend and those kinds of tools are continuing to be developed now. So the ones yes. that allow you to create, you know, for me, that's where that's not only good business because creation is addictive, but it's also a positive thing for the human spirit. That's addictive. Well, so, I gotta, yeah, and I gotta give credit to Facebook slash Meta, which came out with Horizon Worlds, which is sort of, you know, Google stopped putting active development into Tilt Brush, but right. in Horizon in Horizon Worlds, you're able to go and create these worlds, and now they have reported, they they announced they have over three hundred thousand users actively in yeah. horizon worlds yes and it's 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 compelling and you're able to not only create these experiences like until in google tilt brush you could create it but it was harder to actually share that yes and with horizon yeah. worlds you can you can share that with the world you can even just share a link online they've made it pretty interoperable now yeah so you can share a link online and anyone else with a quest headset can jump in to the world you created yeah and no it's, it's it's becoming the interoperability is becoming i mean that's what Meta is doing more than anyone else. I, you know, they're yeah. they're they're showing what the network effect will be in the metaverse. So it's it's, it's very important work that they're doing. And it's not. I, I don't exclude any platform of the metaverse. By the way, I want to play in all of them. I want to create in all of them. I don't think that there's any you know any way to choose one right now. Uh, that you know, except Meta, of course, being ahead of the game, ahead of the crowd. In a lot of ways, I wish um, Google. Yeah, I wish Google I think, had actually kept going because if Google had kept investing into 
yes. brush and their other, you know, yeah. they actually even, they decommissioned Daydream, which was their virtual yeah. reality platform. Yeah, I know. They, they, they shuttered that if they had kept going, because actually Google is much more of an open source company in terms of yes, the it history. Is. Of it, it is. Well, it's a matrix corporation. It has, it has nodes that all relate to each other in, in a network matrix. And yeah, I've, and I've had to deal with them a, few a lot times. of their products. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting because there's no, it's not like, there, you know, of course you could get to Larry Page and, you know, Sergey, but, and that would be, you know, the top down approach. But that, they don't really have a lot of top down approach in <laughs> Google, to tell you the truth. They have these nodes of activity that, you know, yeah. and they've done a lot of amazing things because of that. But they gave up. They gave up on yes on virtual reality because they're, they're, now they're, 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 they're very they're a very capitalistic company. They're very reactive to market forces. They're very reactive to up and down cycles. And there was a hype cycle of VR. They jumped on the bandwagon of that. Then there was a backlash, and they jumped on the bandwagon of the backlash because that's why they shuttered all that stuff. It's like just like you know, riding, riding the sine wave, you know. <laughs> and now they invested reportedly a billion dollars to hop yep. back on the bandwagon again yep so and maybe look this may be the smartest way for them to do it it might be that they need to you know kind of start fresh initiatives fresh with the new tech and new tech partners they're able to usually acquire that's what they do they go and gobble them up yep. um you know sometimes they gobble them up just for competitive reasons i hope that's not what this is uh you know I, I, there's been other eye interaction technologies i knew that they've they've bought a friend of mine uh, Jim Margraff, a serial entrepreneur from Silicon, you know, from technology, uh, very successful guy. You know, he he had an eye interaction company that Google bought uh, the technology of. And, you know, have they ever utilized it? Not really. So it's like you're wondering what's happening with these things they're buying. Sometimes they buy them. It's years go by before they actually start to integrate them into something. But I do believe this one, as you're saying, Shannon, is reactive to Apple's AR yeah, glasses, uh, sort of, uh, you know, shadow campaign that's out there. <laughs> you can never get a straight answer on it. But well, I mean, they've never said I mean, Apple has never confirmed anything. It's only been rumors. Yep. But you know, we 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 we're almost certain now that they're going to release something either later this year, or next year. Um, and you know, there's a lot of reports that have that have said that that's that's potentially what's happening with Apple. So they're going to get into the game, but they, they're notorious for waiting. They're notorious for, for waiting as long as until they really think they have something that is good. And that's a very different strategy from Mark Zuckerberg, which he's, he's very much built in public and just kind of released a lot of versions of this until finally something worked, which was the MetaQuest 2 headset. But it exactly. even still is very, you know, I still think as much as I, I talk about how great that headset is the MetaQuest Two, is still very limited in terms of the the, the weight and the, the oh yeah how no, long you can we wear are it. in as I always quote this line from a great episode of Star Trek the first series of Star Trek for those of you again I'm dating myself but uh, it, it's called uh, the City on the Edge of Forever written by Harlan Ellison and Spock oh, wow. says we are working with I am trying to create a temporal transistor circuit with stone with the equivalent of stone knives and bearskins. <laughs> We're in the stone knives and bearskins uh stage with yes. the our interface with the metaverse. And this is very hard to look beyond. This is a very difficult thing 
to see the horizon of because, you know, as long as these delivery devices are clunky and are like strapping boxes on our heads, there's going to be a huge barrier of resistance and friction to entering truly dimensionalized metaverse experiences. And you have to see beyond that. You have to see that they're coming. And, I, and look, even the Quest 2, the MetaQuest 2 is an example that it is coming because it's way better than, you know, the, yeah. the first version of, of before the Quest, you know, way better than the first versions of any of the VR companies, uh, you know, it, way more transparent in its usage. I mean, so everything has progressed actually very rapidly uh, in the context of industrial you know, uh, evolution. I mean, this has been a very rapid technological uh, bubble that's risen quickly uh, around interface with virtual worlds, interface with virtual reality. We still can use that term because there is an aspect of the metaverse which is virtual. And so, you know, you have to look beyond that to really see what's coming. And sometimes that's difficult because, you know, we still got to go and strap this thing on our head to really have a truly dimensionalized experience. And it's getting, I, I like it. I mean, I, I think it's, there's some really great things, but it's also like looking through a filter from the past into the future. We're not just in the yeah. future yet. We're not just in, in it. We're not, we don't have that full presence where we just go bing. And of course, to use another Star Trek metaphor, it's like, we're trying to get to the holodeck. The holodeck is the metaphor we have in, uh, you know, popular entertainment that references just going into a world and being it's a jungle around you and you're interacting with characters and things and creatures in that jungle. Um, that's, you know, that's the holy grail of this idea of dimensionalized metaverse experience. It's going to take a while to get there. And I think it's going to have to have, you know, some kind of brain implantation to be able to do that, which is much more towards the metaverse of the matrix. You know, we haven't talked about the new matrix yet. Uh, there, you know, the matrix is a, is a, you know, a series of films that are very, very much about the metaverse, whether people yeah. want to, you know, contextualize it that way or not. Um, you know, they, they visualized and sh showed kind of the potentialities of living within a digitally simulated world, uh, better than anyone else did in cinema. And, uh, you know, I think... And their new film was was pretty... I, I really it liked was it. It was meta as... It was meta as crazy meta. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it. you know, the first act is my favorite part of the new film, uh, which is called Resurrections. And uh, one, I'm a Keanu fan. I think he's great at what he does. Um, and I'm a big fan of the Warshawskis, now the Warshawski sisters. Um, you know, they are... Very, very interesting conceptual artists in the cinematic space. And they're playing, and, and only one of them uh, directed uh, Resurrections, and she's playing with, you know, these really interesting self-reflexive concepts of Neo is working in a, in a company that's made the, the Matrix game, and it literally is like the Matrix movie that he's a character in. There's a self-recursive nature of the story, which kind of in the beginning, actor going, what, what's going on? And I think that that's beautiful. I think there's a, a kind of hall of mirrors aspect to it that was very clever. Uh, I think Lana was the one. La who Lana, Lana directed, yeah, she's, uh, you know, and she did a great job actually. Kind of went into the same third act we've seen a number of times, was they kind of paint themselves into a conceptual corner because of just the nature of what they are. If there would have been just the one first movie, it would have been perfect. The nature of narrative and interaction media all these things are dealt with in a very french self-reflexive manner 
in Resurrection. So I'm I was I was pleasantly surprised when I watched it. You mentioned the hol- the Hollow Deck. Well, the Hollow Lens by Microsoft. Yep. Um, is is a product that recently was reported to face a little bit of pushback from the military because the U.S. military was using uh, the re- a recent version of the HoloLens, but there's a lot of reports recently that they got really bad reviews from the military who, personnel and, and, and people who are actually using it. It was too heavy. It was too clunky. It wasn't working. Yes. And, yes. and, you know, I, there's, a lot, there's a heavy militarized aspect of metaverse technology in the context of the Matrix. Way beyond uh, what we know about. That's yeah. there. Look, I, I, you know, obviously I've been traveling in the virtual reality realm for quite a while since Slumber Man. So I, yeah, I'm in those realms and I bump into people from DARPA. And I actually had this whole party where I talked to these people from DARPA once. And it was just meeting them was very trippy because, you know, they're saying, oh, yeah, we're playing with this stuff at a very high level uh, and always have been, uh, you know, number of years, sometimes 10 years ahead of where the consumer sector is. Uh, and but and apparently so, Microsoft is not is not making a product that's good enough, and so you know you know look you know. I, I've 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 played with the the Hololens a number of times and there are some great things about it. Uh, there's also been a lot of training, uh, corporate training and medical training that's been done with the Hololens. They've had a very uh, successful program of that, and yet it's definitely not good enough. I mean, this is sort of the, the dichotomy of all the sort of, you know, virtual uh, display devices, uh, both VR and AR, that are going to be the portals to metaverse dimensionality. They're not there yet. And it needs to be there. You know, it needs to be really there on a much more seamless, frictionless level in order for humans to go, yeah, I want to jump into that all the time. And that's a barrier of entry that is not, been breached yet in all of virtual experience and all of this technology. But that makes sense because this is what it takes for new technology that changes behaviors to actually, it takes its amount of time. Now, we are in accelerated time now, mm-hmm. technologically speaking. So it's going to be quicker than I think people imagine. I believe we're in a five-year cycle right now that is going to, at the end of five years, really be a significantly different world because of our interaction with the metaverse. So I think the the true sort of like mic drop of the metaverse will be about five years from now, where it's like, oh, now that progression to five years from now is in play now. So what Accenture is saying from the standpoint of you know corporate thinking and brand thinking is you definitely have to jump into it now. Uh, because in five years it's going to be ubiquitous, and it is not yet. Uh, and because it's not, it's not one of the reasons it's not is because of the fact that the display devices, the ways in which you interface the human with the metaverse, are just not there yet. And We're also- just not there yet in the way we deliver this thing. And look, there's incredibly intelligent people with billions of dollars working to solve those problems technologically. I am not even interested in and ever trying to solve that. I just not what I do at all. I just believe that those problems are being solved. And I believe that every time I believe something like that, a technology has come along and shown itself to be, to be there, you know? So I know that could also be true. Yeah. That could also be true for decentralized technology. Uh, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's not there yet. I mean, you, you know, no, it's not there. No, no, there's a great, look, there's a great article today. 
in the Sunday New York Times, which is the Latecomer's Guide to Crypto. And meeting everything, you know, cryptocurrency, blockchain, smart contracts, decentralized, uh, you know, systems, DeFi as a concept, NFTs, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a very long article, and it's trying to unpack and talk about what it really is, what are the positives, what are the negatives. You know, there's $1.7 trillion of value in crypto right now. That's not a small amount. It's not a you know, huge amount to the world economy, but it's not a small amount. There's a lot of really interesting concepts about value and what, what you know, currency is, currency theory, et cetera, embedded within this concept. But just like display technology, it's not there yet. It's not. Well, I'm glad that, yeah, we, we need more articles like that to actually yeah. yes. have people under, you know, like I've said in the past, I, I'd hope in the future that you wouldn't actually have to invest in it to use it. But if you are investing it in it, I, I really hope that you actually go in and research what these technologies actually are. Like why yeah. I was interested in it was because I'm like, wow, this is a decentralized peer-to-peer currency, digital yeah. currency. It's conceptually fascinating. It, it's conceptually fascinating, and it really gets to the core of what is value, what is currency. I mean, if you really look at what our currency is, it's backed by almost nothing except perception. So there is already, you know, these illusionary aspects to value and currency in the traditional fiat system, and they've been there for quite a while. Now we're, you know, doing this new system. Of course, there are all kinds of pitfalls and scams and doubt, all of that. But there's also a lot of reality there to what the system is becoming. It's evolving. One thing about humans is we don't stop. We continually change and evolve. And I think that that's definitely happening in the context of crypto, which is a fundamental part of what metaverse will be about. I, anyone that wants to kind of separate yeah. those things, I think is that's that's a misnomer. That They actually are very deeply connected because virtual economy in the virtual real estate of the metaverse needs to have a way of tracking value and needs to be something that's endemic and organic to itself. Um, yeah. And I, I'm not an, I'm not an investor in cryptocurrency. I, I used to be, I'm not, I'm not currently an investor in cryptocurrencies. However, the technology is very fascinating and I totally agree with you. It's going to have to be at the center of yes. metaverse yes. technology. And actually there's some news about this regarding ApeCoin, which yep. is a metaverse-centric coin yes. launched by Yoga Labs, yep. uh, which which is, you know, if you ever, in, ApeCoin is involved with NFTs and, you know, these these apes, which were probably one of the most yep. mainstream version of NFTs that even, you know, on talk shows, they're talking about these apes. So they, they launched a coin for yep. the ApeCoin, which is basically like, it's kind of like just they're they're creating a video game essentially, and then they're creating a currency to play their own video game, and then they airdropped, they airdropped a massive amount of these coins. Basically, I mean they they gave a lot of these coins for free to yep. the NFT holders, and of course, it lost half of its value in thirty minutes yes. when it launched because all these people who were just given these free coins, they went on to Coinbase and to Gemini, and then just sold the coins, like, what is the actual value of it? And that right now is very perceptual. And I believe the technology has a lot of value, but yeah. these products- No, it's about are, what people yeah. are doing with it. That, that and Look, I, I agree with you. There's actually, for those of you interested, you know, to go deep, the, the Yugo Labs uh, business deck was leaked on Twitter, page by page. Um, and oh, it's, really? inter it's interesting to look at. And, and there, you know, uh, I was in conversation with some friends uh, about this, and 
we all said and agreed that there's something missing there. And the thing that's missing for me is meaning. <laughs> it's very, uh, it's yeah. like, it's like building a non sequitur on no foundation of meaning. And so even in, you know, the traditional fiat world of value, even if it's in, you know, incredibly primal things like oil and just commodities and stuff, so, there is still a meaning of what those things are in the world. They're, they're physical things that do something in the world, right? This idea that you're creating something that has no true utility, uh, uh, that's a non sequitur. I mean, no, yeah, let's make eight little eight pictures. I mean, that's very non sequitur. That's very, I mean, very, yeah. I mean, to their credit, very, Andy, to very Andy Warhol, by the way. Yes, <laughs> the, it is very Warhol. The, the ape coin is extremely Warholian. So to take us back around uh, full circle to what we were talking about previously, you know, but for me, I think that there's another level. Look, I'm a storyteller. I want to, I want to tell stories in the metaverse and, and have people engaged in. As I talked about, I wanted to do with uh, Lauren Man Reborn. I wanted you know, have people engaged with a group think that is truly empowering creativity on the group mind level. There's going to be collaboration with AI, so uh, process experimentation. Now, someone could say, "Okay, well, you know, Yugo Labs is doing process experimentation with the ApeCoin." On one level, that's true, but it just is so rando, kind of nihilistic. I don't know. There's no. Yeah, they're trying to add utility, but it's, yeah, it you know, I mean, if I'm sure the people who hold it would have a lot to say about all the utility yeah, that they're adding. But yeah, from yeah. our perspective, who are outside of outside of that ownership, you know, look, it, it definitely looks like a little bit of a mania that's been. Yeah, it's a mania. No, it's up. definitely a mania. It's like the tulip uh, mania of in Holland. You know, in the 1500s, it's that it's that kind of thing. And yet there's a lot of differences just because of the actual underlying like tulips themselves are might be pretty to look at. But yeah, there's not a groundbreaking biologic like if, if tulips were bioengineered necessity. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if tulips were bioengineered so that they didn't need to have any water and yeah. they would just grow infinitely forever, that would be a big innovation There'd be yes. a reason people are but that wasn't the case. Let's say that, though, in the metaverse, things can have that kind of superpower because exactly. in the metaverse, there are not the limitations. So these concepts of value that we're even, you know, sort of coming down on here, we are actually, you know, sort of challenging in the context of what the metaverse will be in terms of value. Because in a fully infinitely expandable world of infinite imaginative creation – how do you put value on anything? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, and that, and that's what I'm saying. Like the, the, you know, NFT technology and cryptocurrency technology, yes. it, it actually does have an incredible innovation at the core of it. It does. And of course, there's the environmental, the environmental well, look, problems. Look, smart contracts in general, smart contracts and trustless networks, which don't, you know, can you can actually do something where humans don't get involved to screw it up. Uh, essentially, that's what a smart contract is. And that's why they call it a Until trustless network. Until they're hacked. You don't, you don't need trust in the network because that's why they, they say it's trustless. You don't need to have trust in order for the contract and the agreement to work. Well, and, I would also say, though, that th that's the one part of the cryptocurrency space that has been hacked. And there is a certain level of you have to trust math. You have to trust math. You have to trust math. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> when there's a problem in that math, so the, hmm. the actual cryptocurrencies themselves because they're open source they're validated to the extent where we're pretty confident that they can't be hacked and right. 
there's things like 51% attack hacks and other things, but the smart contracts, they're much more easily hacked because there's just they're 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 coded in a much more complex way because yeah. they're doing these, you know, and, and there's a lot of there's a lot of things over the past years where millions and millions of dollars has been stolen literally within a second. Oh, I know. Yeah. Because of these smart contract hacks. And, you know, we have to we have there is this level of trust, even though it's the whole idea is, oh, it's trustless. We have to really get I mean, it just makes it even more of a reason to open. I mean, all of them are usually open source, but sometimes things aren't caught by the community until it's too late. So we have yeah. to figure out systems to really validate these smart contracts. And there's yeah. organizations that do this, like Trail of Bits and other other people. But look, you know, this is again a very look and Shannon, you're you're deep in the weeds on some of that stuff. And the, it continues is continually yeah. evolving right now. There's a lot of activity. This is what I, I trust and believe in that the activity by a lot of very smart people addressing these things is going to solve a lot of those problems. And I think so too. I you know, so just too, like we solved air traffic control to a certain degree. Again, doesn't mean people still don't collide in midair every now and then. But you know, <laughs> it's yeah, no, by I, and I large, totally agree. Solved, I totally agree. You know? I just wanted to acknowledge. You just have to acknowledge that yes. you know we are still in this era where we're still figuring out how to make these systems one hundred percent. And 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 I would suggest again that the article in the New York Times is by Kevin Roos. And it came out today, uh, uh, you know, and so it's uh, it, it's called Latecomer's Guide to Crypto. And for those of you who want to just sort of like understand better, you can read through that. And it's it's pretty comprehensive in terms of, you know, when the New York Times weighs in and something like this, they're doing it for the masses, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. so it's that moment where they're trying to get the masses to go, OK, this what is this thing, you know. And the same thing is going to be happening with the metaverse again and again and again in articles from this point on, which because is why people this think it's a joke. I mean, yeah. people people are kind of they joke about it so much, yeah. and it's important for people to understand that it's more than just a a joke. There is some real. And a great example of this is Heineken. Heineken yeah. has entered the metaverse. Yeah, let's talk by, about that. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's it, it is a joke. <laughs> it actually, yeah. This is this is basically the public perception right now of individuals and brands because they've entered the metaverse by revealing a virtual beer in Decentraland. And they said, quote, our virtual beer is made only from the freshest pixels, no malt, no hops, no yeast, no water, and also no beer, the company said in a statement. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that's great. I mean, I think they is, got yeah. the tone exactly right. They, you know? yeah, they, they, they started a hashtag called Hashtag awesome Heineken marketing stunt. So clearly they're self-aware that yeah. this is just a marketing stunt. And you know what? They got us to talk about it. Yeah, so. exactly. No, but it's funny. I mean, it's like, it, and, it, and you know, in that sort of ontological uh, joke there, it's sort of like the meaning of, there. there is sort of the question of what is the meaning of things in the metaverse? You know, that there is that question. And yeah. especially in the context of NFTs and some of this crypto stuff we're talking about. So they're riffing off of that. And that uh, those are that's a very valid thing to riff off of comically, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it shows where the culture is at right now with the metaverse. You know, it's, we're at, we're at a point where brands are coming in and making fun of it and yet they're also building worlds in it. You can actually go to the virtual brewery in Decentral Decentraland's metaverse, which users can walk around yep. and explore the landscape. And, and you know, it's a self-aware idea. Um, yes. Well, much, most everything in there is, also, is about self-reflexivity. 
that just like at the beginning of the Matrix Re Resurrections, it's it's a self-reflexive film reflecting on itself, reflecting on its own narrative, reflecting on its own construct. Yeah, you know, and and a lot of the metaverse, you know, and even the term being meta means that, you know. So the metaverse is it, you know, essentially a very meta idea in and of itself. It's about you know because we're talking about a digital twin of reality. Um, you know, being able to enter into a simulated universe. This starts getting into simulation theory, which we won't go into today because that's that'll be good for another episode. But you know, there's simulation theory going on that that is very you know at very high well, level. That's been widely yeah widely talked about. Um, yeah, and there's there's big, big cosmologists and astrophysicists and quantum mechanic you know, physicists that are, are weighing in about simulation theory all the time now. And it's, you know, yeah, there was the famous Elon Musk, you know, statement about it uh, that sort of, you know, kicked it out into the public sphere. But it's actually an ongoing academic communicate, you know, conversation about what is the idea that we're already in a metaverse, folks. We're in actually a simulation already. Uh, and then that of course, leads to all kinds of fun stories. So I love that concept as a storyteller. Obviously, I've embedded. Yeah, I mean, it really at the end like of the that, day, it's you know. sort of an, a thought experiment. Like it yes. doesn't really. It's 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 almost just a philosophy. It's like modern philosophy. Yeah, but you know, where philosophy you know connects with human behavior, which is what the metaverse will be. There's going to have to be a philosophy to the metaverse. There's going to have to be an ethos to it. Uh, you know, this is the, the the operating systems of philosophers like Plato and Aristotle that we use in current modern in the current modern world. You know, they came from ancient times as a sort of template for how to be and many things in our, you know, governance structures and all kinds of things, tribal structures and with humans come out of the philosophical operating systems of, you know, great thinkers of the past. Yeah. You know, so so now we're talking about what are going to be the operating systems of the metaverse and what's going to be the intention. And that is really the reason we're doing this show is to talk about that, stimulate that discussion, give you the news as we have. We're always going to give you what you know, the news, Shannon, you're great at tracking that. And uh, it's great to talk with you about, you know, all the things that are happening in a week in the metaverse. It's almost like there, there used to be this great show called. Washington Week in Review. This is almost like Metaverse Week in Review with John McLaughlin. You know, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> he was a great, very curmudgeon-y reporter. But anyway, uh, you know, the, the, there's that aspect of this is an ongoing dialogue, and yet the tenets of it are so important that we continue the discussion. Not that any one group or person brings down some kind of edict of what this needs to be. We need to find it in the context of the conversation with the group mind and with activating the genius of the group mind, because the group mind can have genius to it. It doesn't have to always just be warfare and reptilian brainstem theater. And yet, of course, there's a lot of evidence to the fact that that's often what happens. These things collapse into those more de-evolved models. But I believe this has the chance to becoming a very evolved model of human interaction. And so uh, always learn with every one of these. And I hope everybody out there listening that you learn a little bit of something about your own dialogue with yourself and others about what the F is the metaverse. My traditional sign off. Love you, son. I love you too, dad. This podcast can be found on any podcast app and it always appreciate a rating on Spotify or Apple podcasts and special thanks to Greg Leonard for the original theme music for what the F is the metaverse.